This week, we take the bulk of our time to discuss the incredibly divisive and dangerous speech made by President Biden. I'm John Fender, along with Gary Humble and Kevin Kukaji. This is the Freedom Matters Podcast. That speech just, I immediately I went pull up Federalist 10 because it's, it's his constant comment about holding up, of course, our democracy, mm-hmm. which they love to say. But just the first thing that came to mind as I'm listening to him speak is the idea that Madison talked about in Federalist 10 of faction and the need for a republic as our president literally is is standing up there identifying an entire group of people, almost half the country, these MAGA Republicans, uh, and how they are an enemy to the Constitution. I, I mean, would argue more than half the country. Yeah. <clears throat> right. If real numbers are to be known, yes, <laughs> yeah. more than half the country. Well, I guess in my mind, I'm thinking how much of the Republican Party that voted are actually the MAGA Republicans, you know, because if clearly in that vote you had a bunch of the moderates and the establishment <laughs> muckety-mucks that what in in what uh, what Biden actually called in his speech the mainstream Republicans. So see now we have the mainstream Republicans which are accepted because they weren't part of the insurrection and all the things, right? And now you have the MAGA Republicans. So we have a, a, an accepted camp of Republicans and an unaccepted camp. As defined by? Yeah. Well, by by their own definition. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. Good. Maybe we'll have a third party come out of this. Well. No? I don't know. I, yeah, it would help. I don't – every time that's talked about, it gets railroaded. Yeah. And so we So we continue to subject ourselves to rules made by others – that are constantly changing to make it unfair for us. But I'm just intrigued because I see that Gary has highlighted there is sections. There's highlighter on that page. And that is really bright highlighter. It should have my shades. <laughs> well, then oh, he's got a lot of it. Oh, it goes well, on for pages. Well then, well, then I have a highlighted section with an asterisk. Okay. So that's the, the really important part. You know, when I was doing my notes, do you see my highlighter's pink? It's pink, yeah. <laughs> and that's not because of preference of color, but it was the only highlighter that I had that was still wet. You know, mm. we get to the end of a highlighter and it kind of dries out. We just dove right in today. We, we did. We, I did there okay. was no intro. There was no nothing. We, we didn't just start with anything it. fun or hey, anything. I we can, can start th- with something fun. Okay. Uh, Gary pulled through on a bet for me. I heard. Yes. <laughs> Which but is, it was apparently a bet so good that neither of you committed to tasting today. No, uh, I am not drinking that pour yet, <laughs> but I will because it's a good bottle. For for those of you who don't know, you got to understand something. So... John hosts and has hosts for some time a, a bourbon podcast, and he is he he knows his bourbon. He's quite the connoisseur. He understands the bourbon whiskey market thing. Like, yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, a, he's sure. a professional. I technically yes, I fit <laughs> he is that a definition. Professional. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And what I did was I bet John on a bit of bourbon knowledge. That was your first mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but as we've pointed out on this program before, it was kind of a mm-mm, mm-mm. it was an unfair bet. I was, was not, I was there when the bet was made, and you knew that Gary misunderstood the terminology, no, and you and allowed the, him no. to step oh, into I that for, trap. I forgot we talked about this no. in the podcast. Yes. There were other eyewitnesses involved too that are on my side. <laughs> there are other professionals, the though. Stories. No, that's not true. We have employees in the office that I still think if if I were to. Um, if I were to evaluate that bet, 
it always reminds me of says um, the lawyer. <laughs> he's picking, he's picking me, this bed apart as a lawyer. Well, it reminds me of that movie. What was the movie where Huey Lewis went in like a shark and took everybody on um, karaoke? Then was the movie called Karaoke? It sounds like a horrible movie. Duets. <laughs> uh, it, was huge... called, it was called. It is a horrible movie. I love Huey Lewis, but I'm not going to watch that. It's a horrible movie, but the role of Huey Lewis is to pretend he goes into these bars and pretends that he's a horrible singer. And then goads people into betting against him, and then in the final round, he comes out and sings like Huey That's Lewis. That's the kind of movie where uh, a screenwriter or a director brings that to a studio, puts it on a conference table, and an entire conference table signs off on it. And says, yep, that sounds like a good idea. Let's put money behind that. And the reason, I, I believe the reason it was made was because Huey Lewis was in it, and Gwyneth Paltrow... And that's where they recorded um, "Cruisin'" when they redid oh. "Smokey Robinson." So anyway, last week, so we, I feel you got <laughs> you got snookered into that bet, but that well, is not what happened. But but what it, but what's happening today is see, last week we talked about my vociferous personality, but there are times where I am the peacemaker. And so being the peacemaker that I am, I relented on the bet, and I made good today on my hundred dollar bottle. He so, did. He there did. you go. Brought a great bottle. I will appreciate it later. <laughs> okay. Yes, later. We So, yeah, we did just dive in. Yeah. We're going to dive into Gary's yellow highlighter. I thought you were going to make fun of my shirt. You're not going to make fun of my shirt this week? Last, no, last week you gave me a hard time for wearing a uh, Magnolia t-shirt. Well, now you're wearing a Hillsdale one. Why would I make fun of that? Well, thank you. Yeah, that one makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. So, so, you know, we... we on the heels of this this Biden's this insane speech we heard from the the divider in chief, mm-hmm. um, it took me personally straight to Federalist Ten because Federalist Ten is where Madison is really diving into this idea of faction and the divisiveness that happens between people, and in essence, why uh, a straight democracy the the rule by majority. The tyranny of the majority is a really bad idea because sometimes what our founders recognized is that even the majority of people could have a bad idea, right? Just because a majority of people agree on something does not make that something a good thing or a good principle or something that is good for the whole of the people. So the faction is defined as this. Per Federalist 10, when a number of citizens, whether amounting to a majority or minority of the whole, who are united and actuated by some common impulse of passion or of interest, and here's the key, adverse to the rights of other citizens or to the permanent and aggregate interests of the community. So when a quote-unquote majority or, or minority of people come together and come to an agreement that they believe in some ideal, but that ideal is against the rights of citizens, against individual rights, against our Constitution, against the interests of the community. It's a faction. It's a bad thing. And I I couldn't walk away from Biden's speech without having that thought. And and here's the point without – there's a lot of highlights here, so I'll just stick to the point that I – I not only highlighted, but I put an asterisk by, and it's it's this. Democracies, Madison says, have ever been spectacles of turbulence and contention, have ever been found incompatible with personal security, 
and rights of property. So, I mean, Madison is is saying, look, if you look through history, democracies don't work, which which is why the Biden administration is working so hard at federalizing our elections and doing away with the electoral college because that that's that's how they're going to get this communist rule uh, to take root. But Madison is pointing out why these things don't work, and he says this, have been in general as short in their lives as they have been violent in their deaths. And here's the key. Theoretic politicians who have patronized this species of government have erroneously supposed that by reducing mankind to a perfect equality in their political rights, that they would at the same time be perfectly equalized and assimilated in their possessions, their opinions, and their passions. We are an incredibly divided America ideologically. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. And this is really the necessity of our Republican form of government. But I walked away last night thinking, especially the way you hear the current acting or sitting, whatever you want to call him, president of the United States, continue to decry a, a our need to uphold this democracy. Walking away from that speech, realizing no one even understands what a republic is anymore. And um, are we going to end up being what Madison says? Just another democracy that is short in their lives and violent in their deaths. How, how will we survive if in this divisiveness that we find ourselves in if we don't even understand what our form of government is anymore and how to use it? I just – I walked away from last night thinking we are in grave danger. We have reached the point of no return and – um Quite frankly, with the speech that was given last night, I'm quite uncertain how much longer we actually do have to fix this, and if we can. Well, to add to that, remember the the terminology of, quote, our democracy, which, by the way, is the distinguishing feature of someone who is trying to destroy a republic. Our, right? Exactly. The difficulty that I have is so many people who would profess to be Republicans and conservatives now use that language. It's become so part of the culture that even our political leaders say, preserve our democracy, not even aware of the fact that this was designed this, – this really started happening during the Obama administration. If you go back to Obama's speeches prior to Obama, you hadn't had such deliberate, intentional – continual use of and reference to, quote, our democracy, because it sounds superficially as if it's for everybody and it's equality, but it was deliberately designed to lead to these ends where you have the ability of the majority on any issue to decide. And um, it really, if you go back, Madison borrowed a lot from Polybius, who wrote 2,500 years ago about this very thing, about the dangers if you had to choose, actually, Polybius said between a a tyranny under one man or a tyranny of the majority, he said the tyranny of the majority is actually worse than being under because at least with one man, you could have, quote, and I say this within context, with one man, just like with um, kings and judges we read about in Scripture, you can have the opportunity to have the good one who replaces a bad one. You mm -hmm. can have a period of, of rest and ease and... When you have a, a democracy, quote-unquote, when you have a just based on majority rule, you have total chaos, which breaks down to total anarchy. So that's what I was going to say. For the 
TC Mitts out there. Yes, thank you. The common man in the street and the just everyday person who doesn't understand. what. Explain in a nutshell as best you can what the difference in a democracy and a republic is. Re- republic actually protects, as, as Gary pointed out in, um, in the Federalist number 10, a republic is designed to allow the people to have a say without it overstepping our rights that come from God. Mm-hmm. So if there – in other words, there are some things which are immune from majority rule such as your right to free speech, your right of conscience, right? These things are endowed by God, and they exist regardless of whether the majority thinks you should have them or not. Therefore, the republic is established to protect that, which consists of various features, one of which is we elect our representatives to advance our interests. It isn't just 51 of us versus 49, we get to do it, rah, rah. No, it's it's an environment in which, no, we've elected people who supposedly, now we know that they're off the reservation frequently now, but the idea of a representative republic is that, plus it also contains what Gary has talked about, features such as the Electoral College, which are intended to protect the existence of states, so we don't just have Mm -hmm. these big cities of New York and L.A., the population centers controlling, and this was debated heavily and discussed a lot during the constitutional uh, debates and ratification in 1787, um, and then going through 1789 when it was ratified, the the idea that if we didn't have something like the Electoral College to protect a state like Nebraska, whose population is small, but whose uh, interests are much different than a person in New York City or Los Angeles, they could never have that protection because they would always lose. You'd have all the people in, in L.A. and New York deciding all the important issues. And on the contrary, that on the contrary, that would be why. They would want to get rid of the electoral college. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. yes. Absolutely. That's why they've been driving yeah. at it in so many different angles, not only from a federal perspective directly, but there are a number of states that have entered into a interstate compact to try to dissolve and destroy the electoral college. Because once you do that, then it is just majority vote. Middle America would have no more voice in, in that set. Right. Once the electoral college is gone, the coast rule. I mean, for, forget it. And the, yeah. and the states effectively, they're already effectively provinces. They literally become provinces at that point, just geographical boundaries. They have no say because the decision has been made for Texas by what New York City thinks is important. Is that and, is that the biggest difference between a democracy and a republic? Is there, like, I mean, well, something like the electoral college existing? No, it's just, it's not the biggest. It's one of the distinguishing features, yeah, though. Yeah, okay. And remember, the, the, the American, this is what makes the American cons- construct so beautiful because it was different than any other social order in the history of the world. We took the best of the British Empire, we took the best of Western civilization to that point, and then made it even better because you had states that came together and formed the federal government, right? So we are the United States of America, and we have not only the Electoral College, not only representative government, but you have, and these things have been chipped away, but it used to be that senators, two from each state, were chosen by the state legislature, now, hmm. some may argue today, in, in some cases, that would be controlled and be a bad thing. Mm-hmm. We think of our current state of our supermajority rhino establishment here in Tennessee. But that was really intended to keep it from becoming a majority rule type of situation where you had a little bit more of the state's interest in mind. Another feature is just the fact that you have state government and federal government. Right? The federal government has specific areas that they control, specific areas that they're giving the right to act in. Everything else was reserved to the which, states. Which should be very small. Right. <laughs> and then that has expanded 
over time, which I think gets back to Gary's point of we're on the precipice, um, and how much longer does the structure work? I'm actually working um, – this may not surprise you. I'm working on another book, uh, book two of this three three set. You know, I did this um, – You're doing a trilogy. I am, oh. of sorts. <laughs> Maybe um, we'll turn it into a movie someday. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a similar book in that it's a very long speech, very short book. It'll be same size, um, and there'll be three of them. But the second one or the third one, I haven't decided on the order, addresses this very notion of – the Constitution structurally is something that we should not – it's not that we don't refer to it, but people, when they refer to it absent the ideas, is what is destroying – here's a case in point. The I love that Kevin is going George Lucas. His third book yeah. might actually turn out to be the first book. <laughs> we don't know. We'll just, we're going to change it up. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I wasn't thinking in that terms. In those episode terms. four is actually episode one, but we're going to do it backwards because... <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, this notion that the Constitution doesn't matter, and I say this in this context, if you're going to refer to the Constitution and the judges are going to ignore it and the legislatures are going to ignore it and the president is going to ignore it, then the Constitution itself doesn't matter. It was always the ideas that created the Constitution. And we've abandoned those ideas, but we hang on to this piece of paper, right? And we're going to explore that topic, and, and next year we'll have that, that with us and talk about it. But that, this, that's what gets to this point of what Gary was talking about. We're at the precipice um, because these documents are being ignored. We have, we have the best structure in the history of the world. It's not that the structure has been changed. It's that it's been ignored. And you have people abandoning it and saying, why does the Constitution matter? I mean, that came out in a in a survey recently. I forget which survey. I don't know if it was a Rasmussen poll from this summer. 50%, 49%, some, some great percentage, almost majority, says the Constitution shouldn't matter anymore. That's like, scary. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's frightening when you think about the structure of the country. I have one more thing to say about that. That Biden thing, if I might. Go for it. There's there's something bigger going on. I, a lot of people focus on... You think? <laughs> <laughs> All right. There, a lot of people focus on Biden making this, and they get angry at Biden, right? Um, what we cannot let get by, we cannot let uh, escape our vision or our um, discussion of this, is the reality that, as we've talked about, remember, it's not Biden. Biden is the puppet, Right. And we must be aware that the people who are putting Biden up to this are deliberately, deliberately trying to engage in incitement of civil war, mm. right? The reason you put red mm -hmm. behind Biden, mm. yes, the people who are advancing this believe in those communist principles and they want a Marxist controlled totalitarian, but the way they hope to do it. Uh, okay, I'm going to say this, and we can edit it out later if we think it's too dangerous, but let me go ahead and say this. I have long believed that the people behind Biden are purposely trying to incite someone else to take Biden out so that they can then impose totalitarian control, number one, because that think of what that would do to those of us who love liberty, right, who have been maligned as this group and, and, of course, throw us all into one group. Not, we're not monolithic, but that's their intent. If they can incite someone just in the same way they incite, we already know they did this in January 6th. We've known that the Attorney General Merrick Garland has been doing this for years. 
great long journalistic piece came out a couple of weeks ago that talked about um, how long Merrick Garland has been engaging in this type of incitement and encouraging Department of Justice people, FBI agents, to infiltrate, encourage someone to do something that is illegal and violent so they can say plausibly deniable, right? Oh, I didn't have my fingers on it. Well, if they can do that and incite someone to take to take out the president, then they can shift and say, it's your fault, and they'll get everybody else to give up. Think how much liberty people gave up voluntarily because of COVID. Yep. How much more they're going, oh, we'll give up all of our guns, we'll give up all of our rights, allow that to happen. And it also will allow them to implement. Think what happened when John F. Kennedy was assassinated, right? What followed John F. Kennedy? The Great Society, right? Mm. Johnson. Nobody, Republican, Democrat, everybody said, let's give him everything he wants You're, be, out of mercy and sympathy because we just lost this young president. We're going into some, like, deep conspiracy theory territory I just, I just, here. I wanted to say it now because I fear that it's going to happen, and when it happens, I don't want somebody to misunderstand that we didn't know this was coming. Mm. But it would make sense, right? Because wouldn't that prove—that would prove their narrative that began—not began, but that was— restated during Biden's speech of the quote-unquote MAGA Republicans, these horrible people that, by the way, love liberty and love the Constitution but are being billed as the enemy of the Constitution. I mean, literally what you say they aren't, they are. You know what I think is funny about how he he targeted quote-unquote MAGA Republicans? Like, if I were branding this, I wouldn't have used MAGA. It's literally make America great again. Like, right. if you want to villainize these people, don't use the exact term that they were using to try and build back a better America. Build, just, did you just use build, build I did, back I better? I did, but I, t- I spun <laughs> it on. I, back up <laughs> I flipped it on its head and, like, used it against him. I just don't – my point is, as a, as a marketing guy, the entire thing with the blood-red background and the – the the military presence in the back with the red right. background yep. and and the flood light up at the t- at the front so he's he's flooded with white light at the front so he looks like a freaking dictator i the whole thing didn't make sense to me in fact the office ha- here had a big lunch discussion about it today it doesn't make sense on a marketing level it's like did you guys not see this like who looked at this and said this was a good idea but, but if you look at it with a different lens where you're doing something on purpose and that was – it's not that that was a mistake. It's that that was done on purpose. Right. In other words, Barack Obama would never do that because that's not his character. No right? president has he, ever done that. But but Barack Obama believes in all of those ideas that Biden was advancing. So why not let someone else take the fall? It, I, I think from Obama's perspective, it satisfies two issues because Biden has never been well-liked or – respected by the Obama administration and by Obama himself. Well, by 70% of the country. (laughs) Right. But so he becomes a tool and has been a tool. And now he becomes the, the most prominent tool because if they can, if he can be erased by their own incitement, see they're inciting. That's why they do the theater. I mean, red, psychologically red has always been. Oh, it's a horrible color. It's the color to make people angry, right? It's an alarmist color. What are they trying to do? They're trying to incite the people that they've already infiltrated to get them to take the action that they want to take against the president, quote unquote, against Joe Biden, so that they can be justified in taking all their other steps. There's a great image from last night that Joe Rogan actually posted, who's always welcome on the show if he ever wants to be here, that I think we made a joke earlier today that I think that image... It's like an image of Biden with his fists up in the air with the red in the background. 
that image, like I think we need to play a <laughs> we need to play a drinking game in November of how many times that image is used, or or in twenty twenty four that image is used in Republican ads against Democrats. Kind of gives you the um, feeling of heat miser from is it the year without a Santa Claus? He's Mr. Heat Miser. He's Mr. Sun. You've never seen that? No, I don't know what he's talking about. Oh, man. Okay. Well, Gary, you don't know that? No. Sorry. One of those old animations from the 60s, early 70s. Heat Miser and Snow Miser. No. That'll be some of our audience that gets that, I'm sure. I, yeah, sure. Yeah, yes, call in right, I'm sure. My family's listening, they email, know it. Email info at TennesseeStands.org if you know what the hell Kevin is talking about. Because when you think of Joe Biden, red background and hands up and just crazy man, you think of, yeah, there he is, look. Oh. See? Oh, we got yeah, a picture yeah, yeah. of him in the city. Thank you very much, Mr. Producer. Producer man okay. pulled it up on the TV there screen, we so we're looking at it now. You know, that uh, kind of looks like the the type of, remember the animation of the old uh, so, Rudolph, yeah, Rudolph, Rudolph the Red-Nosed yeah. Reindeer? It's that same era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's Heat Miser and, uh, that's his name, Heat Miser? Yeah, and see, he's got his little Jack guys. Frost? And oh, then, yeah. And then um, Snow Miser. Oh, that's the name Snow Miser? Yeah, Sorry. Jack Frost is Jack Snow Frost. Miser, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they each have their songs, and they're in a fight. Determining who's going to control the universe as far as seventy four. So that was six years okay. before I was born. Yep. Here we go. It's there. <sighs> where were we? What were we? Well, on that note, <laughs> if I may, I just want to go one tiny step further before we move off of this because I think it's important. This was I watched this back on YouTube today, and this was roughly a um, a twenty seven minute speech, and I can't remember exactly the minute here but go back and watch it it's on youtube this biden speech 27 minutes and and somewhere around minute seven or minute eight i mean roughly somewhere in the first third of the speech he he states really what what this speech is all about and it's it's during the time it it i don't know if anyone recognizes this but go back and watch it and you'll he states the entire the central purpose of this entire thing and it's, it's while he's describing the MAGA Republicans, and he says these words. He says, and they want, they want to take us backwards. They want to take away our choice and decide who we marry. And I've, I found it really interesting to me. Well, he listed like a couple different things. Contraceptive, yeah, who we right. marry, all that stuff. That's yeah. right. But, but it was primarily those—it was, right. was around the LGBT agenda— and abortion. And I, and I thought to myself, it's incredibly interesting to me that we're getting this whole dissertation on who we are as Americans and we don't love the Constitution and we're taking away rights and we need to protect democracy and it's the Democrats and independents and mainstream Republicans versus the MAGA Republicans and everything that's being said really hinges on the fact that we just overturned Roe v. Wade. I mean, Uh that's been the, that's been the, that's why everything is getting so hot Uh and there's a red background with military. You know what I'm saying? That's where we are, really. I mean, we're really here at the precipice now because of the overturning of Roe v. Wade and the LGBT agenda. And I just, I want to point that out because honestly, go back, go back and watch it. It's the central statement. It is the why on the entire statement. I just, I find that interesting. And um, it coincides with the thought, I'm just going to say this and we can move on. But I want our audience to think about this because really this hit me hard two mornings ago because 
we're going through a lot in our schools right now, and it's all, you know, of course, on the heels of Matt Walsh's What is a Woman and this whole transgender movement. Do you realize, I mean, really think think with me, if if you look over the last five, ye- ten to five years, they call generate is the latest generation Generation Y? Is that who? Where are we at now? I lost, I lost, now. I lost track. I think we're Generation Z now. Z now. Really? Yeah. So they call, they've called the latest generation the most pro-life generation in our lifetime, which is amazing. I mean, we've – so the pendulum has swung, and even the youngest of, of who we are now are, are being termed the pro-life generation. They get it. And we've watched now for a decade the popular thinking on abortion sort of – correct itself back to where it it needs to be we're we're protecting life and as that has been in decline and now we've reached where we've actually seen the overturning of Roe v Wade after almost 50 years in our nation think about if you look at that as a chart and how over the last decade the support for abortion has been declining you've seen an uh, similarly, in the same time period, a rise in the promotion of the LGBT agenda, which has landed into this now at the press at the point where Roe v. Wade has been overturned, we are at now like this height of transitioning our children. I'm, my feed is full of news articles on giving you know five year olds puberty blockers and hormones and we're giving double mastectomies to 12-year-old girls and we're doing hysterectomies on 16-year-old girls. And I, I can't help but but really <laughs> see all of this in terms of the spiritual battle that we're in. The enemy is after our children. And he is after God's creation, God's image in them, and literally we've come to the point where in America, if we can't kill them, we've killed 60 million of them in our country over the past, if we can't kill them, we're going to now mutilate them. And culture is accepting, so we're being told, that if culture at large is going to reject the notion that we can murder our our children in the womb, now we're going to accept that we can simply mutilate them. We can transform them. They never get to be who God really created them to be. I find that, and the fact that the LGBT agenda and abortion was, was in my view, central, the central premise of Biden's speech, I can't get away from that. And it's just, it's the same song, different verse, because at its core, and you touched on it, it's an attack on the created order. Right? It's an attack on how God created everything, and it's the attempt by man to say, I can define myself who I am and what things are, whether that's my person, whether that's what I do with my life or with someone else's life. And that is at the heart. Remember, the crux of sin is man's belief that he is autonomous and that he gets to decide and to define things rather than God defining them. And um, so the whole gender issue is but, as I say, it's a different verse of the same song. It's an attack on the created order, and it's rebellion. And by the way, remember in the early days, just with, with most of these rebellions against God, they tempted people and said, oh, you eat what you like, and I'll eat what I like, right? Just don't bother us and let us do what we want in our own bedrooms, right? That was the 
That was the push, and that's why so many Republicans just said, yeah, you know, just let them do whatever they want in their bedrooms. The problem is that was never their goal. Their goal was just to use that as a tool to get you to capitulate. Now that they're in power, it's, no, you can't think differently. If you do think that you were created by God and that God created only man and woman, we will not allow you to get a job. We will not allow you to get federally funded, whatever it might be, right? We will, we will deny you mortgages. We will deny you business opportunities. ESG. Yeah, the whole, the whole nine yards. And the reason for that, and this is the spiritual element of it, the reason at its core why that entire transgender homosexual movement cannot allow anyone to think differently is because every day those of us who believe in the created order are a living rebuke to their way of life. It is, they cannot look upon the truth. They have to try to besmirch everything. It can't, it can't be acceptable to them for you to live your life and them to live their life. They must try to transform everything because every day, otherwise, whether it's a child that's born in the abortion issue or whether it's a straight person or a person who says there is but man and but woman, our existence, even without saying anything, is a rebuke from God to their very belief system. So can I, I'm going to ask a question, and this doesn't come from any position specifically on either side, mm-hmm. but I've heard this said before. So there's been fluctuations in, in our country in the past. There's been fluctuations of, of issues in the past. So you've got women's suffrage, you've got civil rights, and they've all come to like, pinnacles and peaks and like it's taken our country up into like people couldn't see what you were doing Gary but you were you were demonstrating a a peak with your hand gestures when you're talking just a second ago and that's what those have done with our country in the past I this has been asked of me and I don't know how to answer this question so I'm asking you guys because you're smarter than me is this just another peak or do you see this as something that's more Mm. more severe and if you do see this as more severe this this point that we're at in our country, if you do see it as more severe, do you see it as more severe because you're in the middle of it and we weren't in the middle of women's suffrage and civil rights because we're not old enough for that? Is it because you're in the middle of it and, you know, it's a different perspective when you're in the middle of it or or is it truly something more devastating than anything this country's been a part of? Let me answer it this way. I don't know whether each of these issues, because there are different issues in different times, and if you talk to somebody who lived in the times of World War II and mm-hmm. when you've got the threat of the what's going on with Hitler in Germany and what's going on with mm-hmm. um, in Japan, they felt that that was the worst peril. And if you read the writings and you read Tolkien and C.S. Lewis talking about those times being the worst of times, so I don't know the answer. However, what I won't abide is when people use that as an excuse for not fighting what is going on, right? They say, oh, Kevin you don't know that this is nearly as bad as, as what they faced in this time. You can go back in any generation. But they use that as pretext to say, therefore, I'm not going to do anything. Just we'll let this ride, right? No, I believe God puts it on our, in our hearts to know these things are challenges to his created order so that we will fight, so that we will proclaim the gospel with our words and with our actions, so that we will speak truth into this culture because of our very fear in a good way, right? Fear can be a bad motivator. Fear of seeing the culture transformed into something that it wasn't intended to be. Yeah, I mean, 
You ask, honestly, that's a really great question. I could sit. I mean, because the civil rights movement falls into that same, same definition. That is not God's intended order is for a certain sect of people to be treated on a lesser value than others. Right. And let's, let's remember and make, make sure that we make it clear that who was the one that was against civil rights? It was the Democrats, well, right? true. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. And they, they claimed to be such champions of civil rights, and they were the ones who were trying to prevent. Yeah. No, that's, we could definitely go down that yeah. road. I'm, it was those carrying God's truth that was fighting on the side of civil rights. Right. Yeah. But, but I think you bring a good point in terms of, um, that I could sit and think on that for quite a while, very deeply in terms of, I think what I, what I heard you saying was, we are in the moment of our f- struggle right now. Yeah. And so for us, this seems like earth shattering, but it was these issues that these folks faced at their time was earth. Were, were earth shattering. Yes. So I, I get what you're saying. I would say, and maybe again, maybe they would have said the, <laughs> the same thing in their time. But it seems to me, when you look at our technological advances and the way the world is structured now, um, I mean, clearly, there's never been in human history such a, a clear and present danger where the opportunity actually exists for global totalitarian rule. Right. You, you can look and see that the systems are in place. And... Um, the way that we travel and the way that we communicate with each other and the way that the world is connected now globally uh, in terms of social media, internet, but but including what's happening with our currency and uh, the digitization of currency and the rise of, of cryptocurrency, which people have so many different feelings on because this word decentralization sounds anti-government, so it sounds very fanciful. But it also sounds a lot like the ability to be controlled. What's happening with our elections and the digitization of our elections, it just – it seems to me in the times we live in right now that totalitarian global rule is now upon us. And like you say, Gary, the technology is something we never had before. So even though you had different inflection points throughout history and times people felt – this is the worst of times and we'll never get through it. The one distinguishing feature today is that now all the technology has connected us. So now a person right in this room can know or be known by someone on the other side of the world um, and controlled, right, by far fewer people. And we saw that in COVID. I was about to say everything I just said, COVID just proved Proved. that out. Yeah. And where so, we all did the same thing around the world. And not only did it prove it, it also proved to those who were advancing that what the people were prepared to give up. And so that was just, some call it a test, some say, you know, round one. But the ability to control that was evidenced through the fear of COVID will now and is now being used in every other arena of life to try to establish this control. And that is the biggest, that is why I would say even though I know someone can disagree with me who's lived in a different time, that is why I would say what we're facing now is more of a threat to civilization than anything that we've ever encountered. Specifically because of technology. Mm -hmm. Hmm. The systems are in place. In other words, is there worse morality? No. People have been sinful since the creation of the world, right? That's, That's the gospel. But the means by which that can be exploited now does cover the whole... There's no place you can hide... Hmm. 
I like that answer. I, I'll I'll take that answer. <laughs> hey, by the way, uh, Gen Z was anyone born between 1995 and 2012. So we are now on Gen Alpha. I was wondering where wow. they go after that. So we're back to the top. 2013 to 2025. Yeah, birthdates within those range are Gen Alpha now. So 2000, what was that year again? 1990. Gen Z? Yeah. Is 1995 to 2012. Yeah, so that encompasses every single one of my children. I have one child in that one, and then I have two children in Gen Alpha. Of course, when I grew up, they just said... You were born in 1967. Right, yeah. <laughs> you didn't have a generation you weren't designated. A generation, yeah. I'm a proud, rebellious Gen Xer. Uh, are you? Yeah. I'm a Gen Xer. Not according to this chart. Do they now, what, what's, do they now have so a name se- for these old? 1978. Where do I fit? Oh, there? 78. Yeah. I didn't realize you were that older than me. Yeah. 78. The old, just the young buck in the room, I guess. So I what, what does 1967 qualify? 67 me? qualifies as a Gen X. 65, what? 65 to 79. Wow. He's a Gen hey. X. All right, welcome, Kevin. <laughs> I never knew I was a Gen X. Somehow uh, I don't feel like a Gen Xer. I'm a Zennial. Yeah. The weird in between, between Gen, Gen X and Millennials. You know what was cool about, I mean, Gen X, we really were the, we were the transition from like having to walk up to your TV and turn the knob to like playing Nintendo to like having an in-home computer. But see, I had that. To, I was born in 80 and I had all that. Yeah. Wait. I transitioned with all that too. But you didn't turn your television with a pair of pliers. Uh, well, <laughs> with it, when the knob broke, <laughs> yeah, and you had to. That's yeah. what I had to do. We had. I've we, done that. We had a television. We had two TVs. We had a color TV. Woo! Big fancy TV in okay, the family that, room. That's definitely before my time. I had a 13 inch black and white in my room. And we had a black and white in the library. I never owned a black and white TV, <laughs> so I'll give you guys that one. The black and white television, when the channel changer fell off, we had to use a pair of pliers. To turn it now, there were only like ten channels, you know, that the networks and a few other local, and it was all rabbit ears. You know, there was no cable. But yeah, my friends even used to make fun of us. They used to come over and say, "Why don't you cookies get a new fo- or a new um, television?" I always got to use pliers when I changed your t- <laughs> channel because you couldn't tell what number it was. And I remember being, you know, four, five years old maybe, and staying up too late. And I remember the channel. Closing yes. and the American flag yes. and the national, national anthem, anthem. That's and right. then you get and then static. <sighs> yeah, but I mean, I, re- I remember that when channels too. used to end. Yeah, they used to stop broadcast. Stop used broadcasting. To end. Yeah. yeah, I remember that. There was a good good reason for that, right? Go I also remember. <laughs> Read book. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I also remember getting our first computer. Wasn't connected to the internet. It was just a computer. What was it? Was it DOS commands? Uh, it was. It was a Tandy one thousand. Okay. All right. <laughs> and it was according to the sales guy that sold it to my dad. The last computer you will ever need. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> I'll tell you. In 1983, they had the first computer class in our high school, and one of our science teachers went away to this conference for a week to learn how to do DOS and to teach us that. And it was it was a TRS-80, and it was a desk version, so the screen was like a big box on uh-huh. top of the. And that's all we did was like run commands. And I I remember thinking. What in the world? What application does this have to my life? And we—he was all excited to teach us what he. In that case, and Pong. In case this is worth money and anyone wants to make me an offer, I I do still have in my mom's attic, I believe, back in Louisiana, an old Commodore sixty four. There's no oh. way that fires up still. I don't know. Sitting in an attic for yeah, how many in years? In Louisiana, <laughs> no way. Yeah, Probably not. Eat. That thing is fried. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey. Kevin, yeah. Do we have a visit to the China cabinet today? We'll have to wait. Oh, let me, let me okay. give because I, which again, 
kind of manifest the need for a second episode where we can focus on because what I what I need we to say we're still talking about this a second episode is this going to be a thing it should be okay we've, we've got too much content okay look how thick my China book is we'll never get through that with no, one episode a week that's true I know that's I've got too much to talk about even even though I abbreviated what I wanted to talk about on China this week. It's it's still too much to add to the end of this, okay. so All right. let's wait. Anybody right. sending us messages on this? Info at TennesseeStands.org. Reach, reach out on Facebook at Tennessee Stands. Two, I don't, two episodes. Should we do a poll? Like two episodes a week? Oh, we could do a poll. We could do a poll on Facebook. Yeah. We'll do a poll on the Facebook page. Good idea. There you go. We already invited Joe Rogan. We right? did, yeah. You so, know, someone, someone told me that they were, that if we really wanted to see a significant increase in our reach that we should be on the Joe Rogan show. That oh, was, I agree. Yeah, we should flip the script. <laughs> no, I agree. Like, hey, Joe. Joe should have us on his show. We need to come to Texas and be on the show. <laughs> but how do you make that happen? I don't know. <laughs> Become buddies with Aaron Rodgers or... Yeah. That seems harder to pull off, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does seem a lot harder to pull off. I would just rather throw it out there and hope he hears yeah, and right. just decides to come to Nashville. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah, jump in the studio. Hey, but until then, Matt Walsh is always available True. to come. Low-hanging uh, fruit. He, just G- not G- Apparently not as low-hanging as we thought. Well, yeah. He, <laughs> he probably here. heard that. <laughs> he lives here. <laughs> All right. Till next week. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Freedom Matters podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. And remember, as revolutionary Thomas Paine once stated, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigues of supporting it. <laughs>